talk about service, we're going to talk about uh, being a servant and also having apathy. You know, each day we wake up, especially for the believer, you're presented with two different options of uh, life. We have what we're referring to today as the, the basin of service, the basin of washing the feet of another, the basin of choosing to serve the needs of others, and also the basin of apathy, right, where we choose to maybe uh, turn inward to wash our hands like Pontius Pilate, to, to take that water and use it on ourselves as opposed to someone else and say, that's someone else's problem. So we have the basin of service. How can I bless? How can I help? How can I be a conduit of transformation in the world? And the, the basin of apathy, that is, again, it's about you. It's about convenience, the path of least resistance. Now, when I was in high school, I was the king of apathy, as many teenagers are. I mean, I remember in ninth grade English class, I had already decided that I already knew everything the teacher was already teaching me because I grew up and I went to AG classes as a kid. I don't need, to, I don't need your freshman English class, you know? And my grades started tanking, and uh, a friend, we had an assignment to write an essay together, or to write an essay individually, and my, my friend said, hey, we're writing the same paper. What if we just write it together? and turn in the same paper, right? So that made sense to us. We're doing the work, and we just turned it into a group project, you know? So, you know, we got in trouble. We got in big trouble, because that's called plagiarism. That's what that's called. But the king of apathy, I was really good at that, you know? You know, I've read that the frontal cortex of your brain, that's, a, that's the part that makes decisions it's not fully formed until you're 25 years old. So I was a case study number one for that dilemma. My apathy was fueled largely by my three ants. Ignore ants, arrogance, and lack of repentance. <laughs> but now you get older, apathy gets on your nerves. You know, you don't, you don't, you know, I don't want to be apathetic. I don't want to be around people that just sort of want to wash their hands of things. I went on a medical mission trip to the Dominican Republic many, many years ago. Wonderful people, beautiful people, just fantastic. I loved being down there. Um, but their idea of time is very different than the United States. And we had 30 minutes before our plane was going to leave, and we hadn't left yet. We hadn't even left to go to the airport. And I was like, guys, we got to go. Like, we have $10,000 of tickets here. We got to get on the, get in the truck, the back of the truck probably, and they're like, no, nah, man, it's okay. I'm like, no, it's not okay. It's not okay. What they knew, what I didn't know, which was every flight is delayed at that airport. We got there and we sat there for three hours. But apathy and indifference, it may sound like a good idea. And it's tempting because it's the path of least resistance many times. But to the spiritual life, obedience is so critical. Obedience really unlocks Many times, the power of God in our lives. You look at stories in Scripture of people that stepped out in faith, and then through their obedience, their lack of apathy, God did great wonders through them. Apathy is a, it can be a spiritually dangerous attitude. If we're made in God's image, and we are, then, then what is God's image like? God's image is, we see it in Jesus, right? He is the, the if he says, you've seen me, you've seen the Father, well, if, if Jesus is the image of God, and he is, then how did he live in the world? Was he an apathetic person? Clearly no, 
You don't see anywhere Jesus saying, ah, someone else will take care of it. He was perfectly prophet, priest, king, lord, healer, deliverer, the only perfect person. No one's more joyful, authoritative, real, loving. I I think he is hilarious. I think he's one of the funniest people that probably ever lived. And no one is a greater servant than Jesus. No one could serve people better than him. If you look in Matthew chapter 20, the Lord of all things teaches this. Whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So we have two basins before us each day we live. Service or apathy. Be like Pontius Pilate or be like Jesus who put the towel over his arm and washes the feet of another. C.S. Lewis said, Each day we are becoming a creature of splendid glory or one of unthinkable horror. It might sound kind of black and white to you, but I see what he's saying, that we are in many ways the summary of our decisions, how we choose to live our days. And we are either growing in holiness, growing more and more like Christ, more this year than we were last year, not perfect people, but growing more in that image of Jesus, that image of a servant, of laying your life down, or we're turning inward and saying, someone else will take care of it. Really, the attitude of the servant says, thy will be done, and the apathetic basin says, my will be done. So the basin of apathy, we know the story of Pontius Pilate, we know the story of Jesus um, going up for his mock trial, and Pontius Pilate realizes at this point there's nothing he can really do. The people, he's trying to let Jesus off. He realizes he's innocent, and he, but he knows that th- there's about to be a riot in Matthew chapter 27, verse 24. When Pilate saw he could do nothing, he was trying to let him go. He even said, well, we'll flog him. We'll just beat him horribly, but we won't kill him, which they did. And it's 39 lashes across the back. I won't get into the gory details of that. But a riot was beginning. So he took some water and he washed his hands before the crowd and he said, I'm innocent of this man's blood. See it to yourselves. And the people said, his blood be on us and our children. So they released Barabbas the murderer and they flogged Jesus, handed him over to be crucified. Apathy can be dangerous because it elevates your opinion over almost anything else. And it seems innocuous because it's sort of through a simple shoulder shrug. You know, it's like, well, it's, but it really, really is a self-preservation. It's self-preservation. It feels safe, but at its core, it's really just disobedience. But here's the, the trick with the spiritual life is the more you push through those feelings of apathy, you break through those barriers, you choose to do that. Um, there's blessing on the other side, right? Like I was just talking to someone a few Sundays ago and um, she said, you know, I was not going to come to church today. Has anyone ever thought that thought before? Don't lie in church. I've thought that before, right? She was, she was like, I, was just, I didn't think I was going to come today, you know? And, and we've all been there. Now, you all chose wisely today. You have perfect attendance for the month or the day of Halloween, so good for you. But uh, she was like, I, I wasn't going to come today. So, you know, and th- there's that little, you know, that little voice of apathy, you know? Yeah, just... just just lay in for today. Watch some football or golf or something like that, you know? 
And she, she said, I'm so glad I came, though, right? Every time I've heard people say that, they always say, I'm so glad I did come. Because God had something in store for me. He had something to say to me that day, right? But if, if you listened to the voice of apathy, you wouldn't have presented yourself to that experience. It's worth every time to draw near um, to God. I mean, don't get me wrong. We are made for rest. We do need days of rest. Jesus said the Sabbath is not for God's benefit, but for ours. Um, so let's not confuse that with resting. We do need rest in our lives. Sometimes the most spiritual answer you can give is no, to spend more time with your family or with your spouse or what have you. But Christians are not also called to be perpetual nap takers, that we just bow out of all requirements and obligations to God, you know? I mean, every Methodist church I've ever worked in could have 1,500 members on the rolls, and how many people come on a Sunday, you know what I mean? I mean, I'm the preacher, so I can say stuff like that, right? You know, I mean, come on, you stood before the church and you took a vow, right? I mean, you, right, that was your thing. And so coming on Christmas and Easter, that's great, but that's not the whole part of following Jesus, is it? It is not. There's so much more God has for us. If we would push through those walls of apathy and get more into the attitude of a servant. See, Jesus cannot be fooled. He cannot be mocked. We can't pull the wool over his eyes and think that he doesn't know what's going on. He is the head of the church. He is the head of all of this. And you look in the book of Revelation chapter 3. Jesus gives words to the apostle John about the churches that existed at that time. And he speaks this word to the church of Laodicea. He says, I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm or apathetic, I will spit you out of my mouth. I, that's... That's the Lord speaking. You know, when I look at the the United Methodist Church as a whole, I see huge pieces of it that have fallen asleep, giant chunks of it that are just a monument to the movement they represented so long ago. And I do think about this. How in the world do you awaken an entire, you know, movement again? Because loving Jesus individually is great. It's kind of easy. It's wonderful. That's not the problem. The problem is how do you awake an apathetic, slumbering giant? I don't know. But that is what John Wesley worried the most about with the Methodist movement so long ago. Apathy was the danger that he worried about. He said this, I'm not afraid that the people called Methodists should ever cease to exist, either in Europe or America, but I'm afraid lest they should only exist as a dead sect having the form of religion without the power. Have you ever been to a church service that had the form of religion without the power? Yeah, you have. I have too. And this undoubtedly will be the case unless they hold fast both to the doctrine, spirit, and discipline with which they first set out. Basically, unless they reject apathy, right, it will fall asleep. Unless you choose to push through those temptations to do nothing, it will fall asleep asleep. It will become a dead sect, one life at a time. Now, fortunately, though, Wesley had a solution to this, to this basin of apathy. He said, there is one way and there is no other under heaven. If those who gain all they can and save all they can and will likewise give all they can, then the more they gain, the more they will grow in grace and the more treasure they will lay up in heaven. Now, he's referring to money, but what he's also saying is when you serve, 
when you reject apathy, when you give of yourself and avoid falling in love with the things of this world, this will be to your benefit and to the benefit of the church. But the movement of the church will grow when we ask ourselves the question, how can I reject the basin of apathy and take up the mantle of a servant, of giving my life away to someone else and to hold up the ministries of the church in a way I never have before? So that's the basin of apathy. Then the basin of a servant. In John chapter 13, we know the story of Jesus taking up uh, the Passover meal the night before the crucifixion. And this was a meal they were very comfortable with. They've had many, many times together as Jews. John writes these words in John 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. I I want you to pay attention to that phrase, he loved them to the end. I I love that phrase that the, the God of the universe is still loving these men these disciples, men and women in the room, he was loving them until the end. That yes, Jesus was stooping down to be a servant. He, he always practiced what he preached. He was always giving away of himself to the benefit of others. But I think also Jesus is saying to the disciples, you know, Jesus always heals people physically. God loves our physical bodies, right? When he heals someone other sight, he mixes spit and mud to almost recreate the Genesis recreation of being formed from the earth. When he heals someone he- hear- someone's hearing or uh, their leprosy or their seizures or what have you, God loves our physical bodies because it is through the human body that one, we will be resurrected one day, bodily resurrected, that your body will live on. It is not an evil thing that God will raise it up to be a perfectly spiritual body as the Apostle Paul tells us. But the... The human body is the conduit through which the power of God can be released into the world. It's through people that God chooses to do this. And so our enemy, Satan, he hates our bodies. He wants to bring them down. He wants us to basically practice self-hatred. He wants you to hate yourself. Because he knows that once we get this idea that God loves all that we are, that he can't stop us. And so... Jesus is not only serving these men, he's saying to them, I'm going to heal you of more than just having dirty feet. I want to heal you of self-hatred. I want to heal you of self-rejection. I want, to, I want to heal you of feelings that you're not enough. I want to heal you of ways that you feel that you're insecure. I want to heal you of all those parts of you that you won't show anybody else, but that I see, and I want you to know, I accept you in this moment as you are dirty and confused and angry he stoops down and does this and he jesus would still do this today if we were in here today having passover meal he's still the same he would still kneel to wash our feet he's still here to reject the lies of the enemy 
who is a murderer and a killer and a liar from the very beginning. That's all he ever spouts off is lies and accusations. And, and self-hatred has no place in the spiritual life. I've known people that chose to wrote scripture verses on their bathroom mirrors. They've chosen to wrote, I'm a precious daughter or son, so that when they woke up every day, they would be reminded of their identity, that they're enough. And that is, that is a countercultural message because people are many times killing themselves today out of self-hatred, that they feel they're not enough. But the message of the gospel is Jesus saying to you, I have stooped down to serve you in such a way, to heal you in such a way that will transform your life if you'll let me. He sees this group of men that he's healing as people that he knows it doesn't look good. Okay, these disciples, it doesn't look good at this point in the story. They're bickering, they're fighting, they're arguing about who's the greatest. And so he gets down with a towel and water. Their feet were probably filthy and disgusting. Because when you would walk into a home back then, the lowest servant in the home would wash everybody's feet. That was part of the culture. Now today we may take our shoes off or something like that. But back then, someone would literally wash your feet. Because they didn't take showers every day, but they would wash their feet. So at Passover, it was assumed that someone would get down and do that. Well, no one in the room did it. So Jesus gets down. And he does it. And it, it probably was awkward. Even, even Peter was like, no, Lord, don't wash, don't wash my feet. Wash all of me, Lord. You know, that's a typical Peter statement. But then Jesus asks, do you realize what I've done for you? He says, if I have done this for you, then I expect you to do the same for everybody else. One day I will not be here. After tomorrow, actually, I won't be here anymore. And I expect you to do the same to those around you. If you do these things, he says, you will be blessed. You will be blessed. If you practice the basin of apathy, I don't know if you're going to get a lot of blessing out of that. You'll get some temporary, maybe. But the spirit, blessings of the Spirit come through service. Now, before I get too far on this, I realize, too, that sometimes when it comes to service, especially if you're a longtime church attender, you know, we can get what's called compassion fatigue, right? Where you... You can serve so much for so long, you can get burned out on it. And the disciples could be there as well. That they could be exhausted. Their reasons could be the same as ours. So as I said, maybe um, no is the most spiritually healthy answer you could give just for a season. You know, I'm going to take a month off. I really need to focus on this part of my life or my marriage or something like that. So and maybe the disciples felt overwhelmed. Just the needs they encountered were endless. The hunger and the disease and the, the problems that people face. And full disclosure, I feel the same way today. The phone calls and emails you get. I am powerless to change those things. And it feels overwhelming. And yet in human history, we've always walked that razor's edge. It's a miracle. We're actually even here, right? We're always walking that razor's edge of just complete destruction. And it gets exhausting. And sometimes our tanks just run dry. Maybe Jesus acknowledged that and his serving them in that moment had to refresh them, had to astound them that our rabbi would do this. And maybe they forgot the basin of being a servant uh, because of pride. 
they, we know in the, the Gospels, the disciples have been arguing all the time. Who's the greatest? Lord, who's the greatest? You know, I'm, I know I'm the greatest. You know, and so they always have this back and forth. And in Matthew chapter 20, the arguments of James and John come to a headway. And they keep going back and forth about who's the greatest. And so they go home and tell their mama, Mama, will you go to Jesus and tell him that we're the two greatest? Right? And so mama, mama, sons of Zebedee, comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I want to talk to you. We're going to have a parent-teacher conference right now. So if James, James and John are the sons of thunder, here comes mama with all the, the lightning and the storm clouds. And talk to Jesus for us. Maybe he'll listen to you. But what does he say? If you go back to Matthew 20, we read earlier, this is his answer to her. He said, Whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant. If you want to be first, you must be last. The Son of Man came to serve, not to be served, but to serve. He would go on to teach things like, if you get a table with really rich, famous people, don't take the most important seat. Choose to literally go sit somewhere more lower. Because the, the greatness in the eyes of the kingdom of God is not how it is in the, the eyes of the world. There are great people who are great in the eyes of the kingdom that the world knows nothing about. And one day in heaven, you'll be astounded at who the celebrities really are in the kingdom of God. There are very rich, famous, wonderful people here on earth who will be less in the kingdom of God because his standards are just different than the eyes of the world. But we serve a savior who would take this basin and when he washes the feet of those men, what he's really doing too is, yes, he's healing them of self-hatred, self-rejection, all of these wounds. He's, he's leading by example, but it's also an invitation, isn't it? He's inviting them to say, join me. Join me in serving the world. Because it is through these acts that you will be a healer as well. That you don't have to reserve healing just for me, but that you can do it too and that you can do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to take just a few minutes and pray together. And let's think about ways we could trust God to be a healer. Or maybe today you're the one that you need Jesus to wash you, and you're in that place today. Let's pray. Oh God in heaven, we thank you that you're with us here and now. We thank you for your example to us, Lord, that through your service to us, you provide healing. God, that, that the way you took up the basin and the towel, the way you always rejected apathy, and you chose to act in ways that brought new life to those around you. I pray for anyone here now that is in a place of exhaustion. They need to be healed by you. I pray your touch upon them in the, in the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray you would empower us to be people who walk with a basin and a towel, looking of ways not to have our needs met, not to criticize, but to ask, how can I serve? How can I give? How can I love the world around me? Because it is love, oh God, that should touch everything we do. Help us, God, to love better. We confess, Lord, that we have loved poorly. We have loved our neighbors poorly. Grow us in love to each other, oh God, just as you have first loved us. In your name we pray. Amen.